This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. The vocal ensemble Conspirare was started 30 years ago in Austin, Texas. The artistic director is Craig Hella Johnson, and he can hardly believe it's been 30 years. But he still believes in the fact that music has the power to change lives. The anniversary celebration is underway with the release of their new recording. It's called House of Belonging, and it features a long-awaited collaboration with the Moreau Quartet. It's a beautiful new release, and that's what we hear about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Let's just start off by talking a little bit about Conspirare's 30th anniversary. Um, you're launching your 30th anniversary season. How does that feel? It's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's like, uh, it's hard to believe. I don't know how to understand the passage of time like this because it feels like we just got started in a way. But um, then I look at a lot of the projects and I think, no, we didn't just get started. We've been at this a well. while. We're really excited, though. I mean, I'm so proud of of just so many people who have uh, co-created this whole endeavor and so many people on whose shoulders we stand, whose uh, energy and support and love have held us up and the great artists over these years. So um, it feels both really like a, a time to celebrate and uh, feel proud of the singers and the music, all, all the artists' accomplishments, but at the same time um, to really look forward it feels like an entrepreneurial time sort of a uh an exciting new time too we're looking ahead to the next chapters and so yeah it's it's we're we're having fun we're going to enjoy the year kind of both sharing memories and also dreaming about the future together and enjoying the present moment did you imagine when you started conspirare that you know the future would be so long (laughs) right no i sure did not i mean I, i didn't I didn't have a sense. I had that kind of innocence of of, uh, of a younger time, and and I just remember hearing how many people, oh, you know, a nonprofit. If you started, you know, lucky to go five to seven years, <laughs> all these stories. And, and I mean, I I understand everything they were saying. It's it's, it's always like mountain climbing when nonprofit. You're always working really really hard, and I think over the course of many years, you prove to yourself, like, yes, I really do believe in this thing that I started out so passionate about. I really do believe in music's power to change lives. I really do believe that this, yeah, dynamic communal art form really still can have that transformative gift for all of us. And and we need it so much now. So I, it's, it's, it's wonderful. What do you think the secret sauce has been for Conspirare? Mm. I think staying true to the mission, you know, uh, showing up for the for the work i mean it's like a relationship uh it isn't it I, you know we think about all of any uh, 
any relationships that we have that are long-term and uh, you know, there's a way to, how do you kind of stay in love? How do you, how do you nurture that initial first deep love and dedication? And um, I would say it's, it's that combination of, of a whole lot of people working really, really hard and investing and caring. And then some degree of grace and mysterious um, surprise that, you know, maybe good fortune and luck. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of love. And I think um, we've been a scrappy bunch <laughs> over the years. I have a wonderful team of colleagues who we kind of wink at each other uh, when they, there's kind of been a joke over the years, like when someone is saying no, you know, there's, uh, they'll say, you know, I'm actually hearing yes. And there's that sort of little sparkle in, in someone's eye that when that, the challenge comes, that some whatever version of feels like a no, uh, that, that there's some deeper well that's drawn from in that moment that sparks that hope and that promise and that sense of, no, we really are going to do this. We're going to really create this thing in the world and keep sharing it. And so, yeah, it's, but it's a lot of great people. It's truly the, the best part of that secret sauce. The last time that you and I spoke, you were collaborating with the Los Angeles Guitar Quartet, the Texas Guitar Quartet, and the Austin Guitar Quartet on the singing guitar, which earned you a Grammy nominations. Congrats on that. Thank you. And now you're collaborating with the Miro Quartet. Is this part of the plan for the ensemble to do more collaborations? Always. You know, I think from day one, we, you know, I, I spoke about collaborations early on and how can we partner with musical friends both just for the sheer joy of it, but also to really um, learn. And, you know, it's it's how we keep sort of the that knife edge sharp in terms of our, our own music making, um, in terms of our own creativity, how to let it not be stale, um, but to invite people close in and... And just learn from them, sort of humbly have the ears and the body open to what is being brought to the circle. And, and of course, now, more than ever, you know, that, that need to really be listening and to one another and collaborating is just so important sort of culturally and I would say spiritually in terms of our human family, just that we somehow, any, any means by which we can tune in to another is to be exploited and taken advantage of in the most meaningful way right now um, and engaged with. Um, so I would say, yes, it's always been a part of the cradle, but we've loved these collaborations. The Moreau Quartet, they're, they're just stupendous players, uh, solo players themselves, and they come together though, and there's just this astounding uh, Magic. It's such a beautiful quartet, such beautiful artists. Um, and the whole is, uh, I don't know, greater than the sum of our, their wonderful parts even, is something really, really special. So one of the things I love, Julie, was just um, that wonderful vantage point. We started kind of an aspect of this project before. This was a March 2023 project when we performed and recorded it but we had done a big commissioning project in October of 2022 called Hear Me Out and we did 13 commissions so 13 premieres in just like six days and um, that was 
all with the Mirror Quartet. Um, my very happy, lucky chair that I, you know, got to sit or my, my stool, I guess I'll say, um, from the conductor's podium, was just the best place to be because, you know, it was just given the small places we were um, rehearsing and performing, I got to be just a few feet away. So I felt like it was right in the pulsing center of that quartet and then surrounded by the singers of Quinsbury. So uh, anyway, long answer, yes. Um, we want to be collaborating a lot these days. And what did you learn in working with the Miro Quartet? Well, they listen to one another so carefully, so deeply. Uh, I mean, their listening is is just second nature. And certainly the Kunstbury artists are great listeners. Also, I, I um, pride that aspect of their work. But these guys in the quartet, seeing them lean into one another, seeing... I mean, it wasn't even an an intentional act. It, as I say, it was just part of their DNA. Where their eyes had just been sort of trained to kind of feel each other's bow lengths. You know, it's sort of like we would with breath and singing. Um, their movements, their gestures were just so organic. Um, I think also one thing we learned and gained was just their genuine curiosity. Every new commission and new work, they have incredible schedules. They're just touring all the time and doing master classes, and then they teach at the university in Austin. And you know, there's just they're just sort of nonstop busy. But they came to this with such a freshness. I think when they came back just before this project, they had just come back from being was it in Thailand, I think, and um, you know, just barely. I mean, not even off jet lag, and there they were, just uh, you know, some more adult version of bright, shiny faces, <laughs> ready to rehearse. So I think there was a, a larger thing, the spirit of that, that they make their music is, is just something we gain so much from, but also their commitment to just details and doing it with a lot of respect for everyone in the room. A lot of kindness, I think, too. It's fantastic. This recording is called House of Belonging, which is a beautiful thought and a beautiful image. Tell me about the title and the music that lives within this recording. So the title actually came gradually. Um, We had a a different project scheduled for this time and for some very practical sort of reasons that had to be shifted and, you know, kicked down the calendar actually a a couple of years. But so, but that happened quite late in terms of just planning cycles. This was going to take place in March, and we had just had to make that difficult decision in December before. And so, but I, I always think when there's something that presents itself like that from our artistic chairs to say, okay, very challenging, yes, but in in this challenge, what's the opportunity? What is the creative opportunity? And you know, to have a a blank whiteboard for this project 
but fueled by a sense of urgency that this needed to come together. Uh, what would the music be? What would, you know, um, there, there was a very present moment kind of uh, aliveness about this because we, you know, this was going to happen in what, two or three months. So it felt like right now. And so I thought, well, what, what music are we needing to hear in this time? What, what am I sensing just in, in our listening audiences, the people, what, what are they going through in their lives? What are, what's kind of meant to be expressed from conspirari at this time? And uh, what are composers um, feeling into as they create? And um, so kind of long story, very short, just what gradually came together was I, I saw these pieces. I thought, well, this piece, this piece, I would, this piece. And it was, it was quite an eclectic bunch of pieces initially. And I thought, oh, well, I don't see the thread yet. What's, what's sort of a thematic core to this thing or somehow that's going to feel cohesive. Um, and then all of a sudden it just appeared to me like what was represented in some of these pieces that were starting to kind of look like nominees for the, the final draft list here. It kind of felt like where what I observed culturally, just so many elements and so many elements that in one way aren't feeling a deep sense of belonging and being included, being a part of the whole world. A lot of us, I think, are feeling separate from one another. There are some very large chasms right now between us, um, and many are getting fueled by all kinds of other external factors, especially the political discourse. And um, so, but I did see like this sort of natural sense of, of, oh, this is starting to represent a spectrum of us in the various pieces and, um, and kind of where we're living. As I thought of that word belonging, I thought of that wonderful title. David White has a wonderful poem called The House of Belonging. And so I just kind of borrowed that from my working title. Um, we didn't have a piece called The House of Belonging at that time. Um, but I, I love the title. And so I just kind of lived with that. And I thought, well, this title may change. I don't really even have permission to use it. But um, And then then the process kind of quickened over those next weeks. Uh, I got in touch with Alex Burko, asked if he would consider creating kind of an anchor piece, a multi-movement work. And this is crazy because this is like early January and the you know performances are in March. Somehow the mystery of of it all, you know, his dance card was open to do a really stay up really late for about five weeks in a row and try and create a piece. So um, he did. It's a beautiful uh, multi-movement piece called Sacred Place. I had asked if he could create something that felt like a communal gathering piece in the midst of all these other pieces that were feeling like they represented parts of our our world, our human family right now, various parts. I just said, can you, could you draw us together kind of with this anger piece with some sort of a, oh, I guess a way to say it. I think I said maybe like a secular liturgy or something that on the surface is really clearly all inclusive. And he created a beautiful work called Sacred Place. And that's kind of at the heart of this CD. And he used as a model for this 
kind of Jewish service, kind of that's uh, sort of silently underlaying the whole thing. Um, and the titles are in Hebrew, but the texts are very uh, from a lot of different places. Wendell Berry is in the very first movement. John Muir, in a letter that he wrote to Teddy Roosevelt, preserving unpreserving Yosemite, uh, is another text. Um, William Stafford is the third movement. The wonderful Bengali poet Rabindranath Tagore, um, and that wonderful haiku. Kawayasha Isa. So, so it, it's, um, again, even the piece itself sort of puts this welcome mat out to, from, uh, from a lot of different directions. But that's how the, the sort of theme for House of Belonging came about, Julie, yeah. Commissioning new works, as you've said, is very important as part of the mission for Conspirare. And in fact, this piece opens with one of your pieces. It's called Reaching, and this hits very close to home for you in Texas. Can you talk about this piece and also why it was the right way to open this recording? In December of 2022... For our Christmas concerts, we always sing in Austin, often in Houston, sometimes Victoria. But uh, we made a decision to inquire with um, some people in Uvalde, Texas, where that horrible school shooting took place in May of 2022, just to see. We, we went to our fellow tribes people in choral music and to some choral musicians and to some city leaders and... Uh, to ask if they thought this would be something helpful if we would bring a concert uh, kind of on the road to Uvalde. Um, and they were very, very interested in that. And so we brought Conspirare, we brought all of our gear, even the visuals. I, I was so touched by our whole team. The production team brought all the extra equipment and they had to drive for hours because we were coming from Houston and, you know, no sleep. And so the whole team wanted to do this so deeply. But for that, I had worked with the uh, Welsh-Scottish poet and librettist Ewan Tate to create um, three very short pieces. They were sort of interstitial pieces um, for that concert. And uh, I, so the one you're referencing is called Reaching. And this uh, is the first track on the CD just because it speaks to that, um, to the yearning. Uh, the very first lines are, we are far away from home. We are turning away. Oh, my unknown home. I love you, I'll never return. Just spoke to that sense of separation in a very sort of simple way. So that's why we... I chose to begin with that. The piece that follows that was written for the Miro Quartet by Kevin Putz, and it is simply titled Home, and that is the word that the choir sings throughout. Talk to me a little bit about what makes this piece so powerful, even though in many ways it's very simple? Mm -hmm. 
I'm glad you felt that because I immediately did too. It's as a string quartet only piece. It's really exceptionally beautiful. It's about six minutes long. We included this on the October 2022 program I referenced with you before. And I also told you just how special it was for me to sit right so close to the quartet. We included this in the program and so, but I decided not to leave the stage, even though it was a quartet only. I just sat down right in my spot there and the choir was behind the quartet. And it just felt like extraordinarily intimate. This piece really, it's, it's in its way, um, to me, a little bit cinematic. sort of gives a feeling of some comfort, I would say, and belonging, warmth, um, connection. I somehow uh, Kevin's managed to sort of transmit that. As I was sitting there, um, in rehearsal and performance especially, I, I just was feeling it would have been the most natural thing in the world if the singers just would have entered it with a quiet hum, just with an ooh, just something, I just, to hold it. Um, I thought, oh, these 29 singers are right here. I, you know, they should engage I just felt it each time we did it. So after this was all done, the performances, I just called Kevin up and said, hey, what do you think? I mean, I just, I feel like it should be really beautiful just to have some choral kind of uh, holding sonorities around it. Um, much to my delight, he really loved the idea. And this was created um, as a result of that. So you're exactly right, just the word home or the vowel O or U or an M say sound just, but just the word home is what's present in that. Black Ocean Anthems of a Crowd is such a cool piece. It has so many interesting cultural elements in it. It also features the Miro Quartet. Talk to me a little bit about these different elements that make up this piece and really draw us in. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad you love it. I really do too. Derek, of course, is just the uh, uh, kick-ass, wonderful composer. He's so full of ideas and he's got such a big, expansive heart. He is often in his music sort of uh, referencing other musical traditions from the global human family that are outside Western music and just outside sort of our traditional classical styles as well. And this is no exception. He includes elements of Hindustani classical music. And this nine beat tall, it's a rhythmic cycle. Gives a wonderful feeling of sort of gathering momentum.
sort of um, intensification. It feels at some point like there's a ritual, something happening, and one feels caught up in it. So it's rhythmically just great fun. We include body percussion, there's chest tapping and rubbing of hands together. And, and the string quartet plays in these little microtones. They worked really hard to sort of capture the style, and Derek was wonderful to just do a lot of the coaching, because this, of course, was outside my area of any knowledge and expertise. So I just enjoyed um, his fantastic coaching. And uh, it's a great piece, kind of uh, uh, thinking about uh, the human experience of, of the universe. It's really large, it's grand, it's open, and yet at the same time, very intimate and personal. And he tries to capture that. He has a family member, Kiara's guy, who wrote this really super fun text. And then he'll sometimes take just syllables from his text, for example, shooting stars, uh, and just takes the SHO of that and it becomes a show, 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 show. It is a very cool piece. I want to talk about the title track a little bit more, The House of Belonging. Because it's a text that you really loved, and you reached out to composer Shara Nova, who said yes, she said, before even reading the entire poem, and then realized, oh, this is a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how it finally came together. All right. Yeah, she did. I was just telling her about the project and kind of the scope, and would she write something for this? This was one of these kind of late-breaking things, too, you know after the uh, postponement of that other project. And uh, thankfully, she felt she had a window where she could dive in and do a little something. So we were thinking about what that might be. And I told her about the poem. And she had indeed said a yes to, yeah, I'll, I'll consider setting that. I think she might have even said, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to set it or something. And, uh, and then, yeah, she realized, whoa, this is actually a lot longer because I had just sent her an excerpt just to kind of give her the feel. And, uh, but she went for it. And, uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it, we had a blast singing it. It's, um, it's difficult vocally, kind of virtuosically. It needs, it needs super low basses and super high sopranos. She wants them at times to be singing like bagpipes, just very sort of uh, forward, dramatic, out, kind of brazenly extroverted sound. And at other times, you know, one needs to deliver the 
text. And so it was really trying to care for these words and let it be a musical reading of the poem. Um, I'm so, so glad she did it. And it was a real joy to kind of step into this meditation of this poem that she created for us. And Shara Nova also wrote the final piece on this recording. It's a new arrangement for choir. And it was written originally for her child, like a lullaby, but it has much more context than that around it. It's very beautiful, and I encourage people once they get to hear this then to also take a peek online and find two or three of the other the solo versions that she has done, which are just stunningly beautiful. I, I just felt like I somehow needed her to do this just maybe for me, <laughs> you know, and, you know, come to find out a whole lot of people respond similarly. I thought this is so gorgeous. Choir's should sing it can we can we find a way she was very open to to doing this along with her collaborator um and often arranger nate thatcher who did a beautiful job with this um kind of setting a lot of this for choir but um yeah the title is kind of beguiling because it's it doesn't give you the whole the title as you correctly said is i've never loved someone and then when when you hear it of course it's i have never loved someone the way i love you I've never seen a smile like yours. So there is this mother-child aspect that you reference correctly also. Uh, but it, it has a very universal feeling because I think everyone singing it, everyone hearing it has that sense of there is someone. It might be very meaningful for someone as a parent or a child, but it also might be just the depth of love for someone, you know, whether that's a friend or a dear one or a lover or... Um, a mentor or, 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 you know, it's, it's, and it's also just this extraordinarily loving kind of meditation on that, which, that, which we deeply love in this life and about this life. So it ends with this extraordinary repetition of, I will find some other way to tell you, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Um, nice to sing it. Nice to have someone sing that to you. Mm. I was reading what she said about it, and oh, it's very, very beautiful how she was writing this at the time that her maternal grandmother was in the hospital. Uh, transitioning from this life to the next and seeing herself as the child in the eyes of her grandmother and Mm -hmm. closing out that thought with, let us practice growing our capacity to love and be loved. (laughs) Yeah, Shira sort of just tries to live that as a kind of living credo, I think. She's a, a really beautiful spirit.
Are there any other pieces that you want to be sure to highlight that we haven't already talked about, Craig? Yeah, you know, it was really wonderful to be able to include this uh, short piece of Margaret Bond's. We have uh, at Consbury have really been devoted to her music, uh, to learning her music, to learning more about her music. We're fortunate to just within maybe 20, 30 miles of us here in Austin to have uh, John Michael Cooper close by. Michael has uh, really been one of the leading writers and musicologists to help uncover her music, which had been so... Uh, so unfortunately neglected and pushed aside, literally. So we just love bringing works of Margaret Bond out uh, whenever possible with our audiences. And um, uh, many people are finding the joy of, of her music. And this short piece, she she happened to love. It was a piece by a short Langston Hughes poem. Langston Hughes was a wonderful, like, close friend of hers. Um and uh, Michael had sent this to me. I didn't know it uh, uh, before his introduction. She had written, oh, I want to say four or five versions of this, which makes it clear, you know, this is a piece she herself really loves. And uh, so it felt very exciting because uh, for us to get to share this here. And I think also, you know, it's uh, it's a fun kind of clever uh, poem about a certain very specific kind of joy you know, it doesn't feel at the moment very sort of serious or philosophical in any way. Just, uh, um, but but it felt like it feels like it has a wonderful place in this CD. We're pondering a lot here. We're pondering a lot of sort of big themes and threads of themes with the various texts here that people have chosen, the composers have chosen. Uh, but to have this um, statement of joy, um, which follows actually a gorgeous, gorgeous piece by Michael Schachter, which references Beethoven. me this once a pure day of joy that appears to me so long as the inner echo of true joy has been foreign to me anyway this is from the heiligenstadt testament um and so it's it just all kind of came together very nicely that there's that reference of beethoven's earnest uh, prayer for joy followed by this wonderful fresh happy statement of margaret bonds sense of joy, you know, goes through us when we do feel that sense of belonging, so it all comes full circle. That's lovely. Beautiful. 
Craig, now that you've got this project all together and it's ready to go out to the world, what has been most memorable for you in putting it together? You know, that could be a long conversation because there's so much. Um, but I will just say, because we're within a naturally limited time frame, <laughs> um, uh, that what came to mind first was just the, the, the connection and the joy of the artists, uh, the, both the performing artists and the composers and the interactions and this community. Um, because, I mean, apropos to the theme, uh, the house of belonging in the title, you know, it, it, you said something just a moment ago, too, about that deep joy we do feel when we feel like we are deeply connected with others, when we feel like we have a sense of place with others and belong there. And so many, many people are feeling that... Um, uh, this is not their regular experience in their day-to-day -day lives right now. There's a sense of kind of feeling lost and and uh, and uh, separate from the depth of that. And so an experience like just this co-creation, which I think this is just absolutely what we consider it, that to me was just the most beautiful memory of this. It's, you know, on every level, it's cooperation, collaboration, co-creation, the conversations to create what the thing's going to be, the discussions, the experiences of what vowel do we share, what dynamic and what's our shared sense of pulse, what is that shared tempo that we feel from within, and then the knowledge that we are actually not only just sort of entertaining one another with, you know, wonderful architecture of music and gestures that delight and, and intrigue and etc., etc., but that we're actually, the music is carrying loving, intentional, you know, thoughtful uh, intent in, in the texts, you know, as we ponder these things together. It's such a great space in which we can do that. So we're yet again reminded of all that art can offer us, all that music can offer us, both in the live setting and now in the recording setting. And now, you know, the collaboration and cooperation gets to be with all of us as artists, with listeners, with folks. Um who get to hear this music and having conversations like this with you. I mean, I feel that ongoing sense of connection. We get to connect around these ideas, which are kind of reminders for us. Like, let's remember kind of a way of coming home to one another. A new recording called House of Belonging, featuring Conspirare with the Miro Quartet. Craig Hella Johnson is the artistic director. Thanks to Valerie Kaler. She's our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. <laughs>